welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 8 in the series, The Armour of God. This is the morning session of Sunday the 9th of August 2009, and the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Here's Pastor Russ Iveson. One of the benefits of the medication I'm on this morning is uh, I've got a good case of the shakes all over. So... uh, <laughs> Trust you'll kindly bear with me a little bit. In Ephesians uh, chapter 6, we pick up again in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We take our departure this morning in verse 16. But I find it interesting to see how that Paul has constructed the passage, uh, particularly uh, uh, pertaining to the the armor of God. We were told to have our uh, feet bound under with the preparation of the gospel. Our cleats are firmly tied on. And that which secured the cleats was the the, uh, readiness, the, the fitness, the patient, systematic investigation, the laborious study, the diligent pursuing study, the study done with uh, 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 consistent, careful attention, a clear comprehension of the doctrines of the Word of God. But beyond that, an apprehension of the doctrine, a careful application of the doctrine uh, to the or what, to the believer, uh, what the greaves uh, and the and the the shin guards and the cleats were to the hoplite. But Paul then says, above all, taking the shield of faith, epipassine, anelabantes ton thuliantes pestius. Before we step out further, we need to remind ourselves. We're dealing with a series of aorist participles, action that uh, has to be taken before the main verb. But the main verb we saw was back in verse 13, the verb to stand. We saw the taking up the complete armor that is God's. We are empowered to stand. We are empowered, empowered to stand against. In a very real sense, we're empowered to lean into the evil day. And stand. Both withstand and stand are secondarist active infinitives, continued simple action. 
Stand being the main verb that our participles in verses 14 through 16 are, are governed by grammatically. But Paul now says, epipasin. Epi, the preposition of superimposition, above. Pasin is the dative plural masculine adjective, uh, the indirect object, all, above all. Paul raises the whole thing to a, to a higher level. Take the whole complete armor of God that enables us to stand against, that enables us to lean into the evil day with all that it brings. It enables us to stand. Our loins are girded. Our loins are, are, are enabled, are supported with absolute truth. Our heart is shielded by the, the uh, imputed righteousness of Christ. We have the foundation enabling us uh, not only to stand, but to lean into adversity. But above all this, there's something of yet greater importance. He says, Anna Labontes, the nominative plural masculine secondarist, active participle. The, the subject is the membership of the congregation at Ephesus. The subject is the readers of this epistle. Here's a one-time linear act that they're to take. Anna is up, lambano is the verb to take, to take up, to receive up, to take unto uh, themselves. Tonthrion is the accusative singular masculine article noun. Here's the direct object of the verb take up. Thrion is defined really as a large door-shaped shield. Athurion is the Greek form of the Latin uh, 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 scutum, an oblong-shaped shield that the hoplite carried. The scutum was indeed door-shaped. It was about four feet high. So it kind of reminds me of a village we drove into down in Devon 15, 18 years ago. And uh, we were going through the main part of the town, and I stopped. I asked my son David. He was about six foot six. I said, David, get out and stand next to that front door. It only came up to here on David. Short door, but the right size. Four foot. And uh, when it was held, it covered from the top of the greaves up to, the, up to uh, about where he could look over with his eyes. And uh, it protected the front of him. When the hoplite formed up, the scutum actually formed an extended wall down the front line of the army. They, they interlocked on the edges, and uh, one with another on either side, and it formed a wall. But the, another shield that the Romans used was the auspice, or the uh, uh, clepius. Uh, it was a round two and a half foot in diameter uh, shield, but this was used by the, the cavalry soldiers. But either of these shields were made of, of, of light wood, uh, that was that was glued together with a with a milk based glue, and then they were covered over with several layers of animal hide, and that uh, were cured, and the, then the edges were bound around with brass. But at this point, consider something that the scriptures tell us in Genesis chapter fifteen and uh, verse one. After these things. 
The word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, thy exceeding great reward. Jehovah just tells Abram, I am thy shield. Shield here is a magin. It's a small shield. It's a buckler. It's a protection. It's a defense. Magin derives from ganon to hedge about, to protect, to defend. But I find it interesting. The Septuagint there of Genesis 15.1 uses the word uperospizu. It's the first person singular present active indicative, a contemporaneous action taken by Jehovah, the eternally self-existent one. Uper is the preposition above. Aspis is the two and a half foot diameter Roman shield, the cavalry war. But as an adverb, or excuse me, as a verb, God says, I shield thee. I cover thee with a shield. God tells Abraham that his divine perfections, his divine power, his faithfulness, his truth, his immutability, all these things which encompass him encompass his saints as a shield. We see God's favor as a shield, as a thorn hedge, if you please. In Psalm chapter 5 and uh, verse 12. Psalm chapter 5 and verse 12. The scripture says here, For thou, Lord, thou, Jehovah, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. There compass if I can read my notes, is avar, to encircle for uh, attack and, and, and protection, to crown. Uh, but the, the thought really is like unto a shepherd placing his sheep in a coat. And the shepherd, David, would take his sheep as a young lad, and he'd put them in a coat of Jerusalem thorn. And the opening, he would lay down. Anyone wanting to get to the sheep had to go across the shepherd. When I see things like that, my mind immediately goes to John chapter 10 in the great discourse of the great shepherd. And he tells us here in John chapter 10, picking up in verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And may I stop here? Because we are living in a time when the great uppertaker could come at any moment with the trump of the archangel, but the shepherd will call his own by name. 
When the uppertaker comes and we're out of here, we will hear him call us individually by name. But this parable Jesus spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them, Again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and not and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd, Israel and Gentiles. One fold, one new race. No longer Gentile, no longer Jew, but Christian. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This command have I received of my Father. Building upon what our brother was teaching us this morning, Adam fell and brought down the race of every man that's ever lived, ever since, is born a sinner. We rebelled. God so loved the Son, He gave Him as the great gift. But the son so loved, he obeyed. He obeyed. He is the sinless one. He obeyed unto death. We find that God's word says in Proverbs chapter 30, in verse 5. Proverbs chapter 30, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in them. Pure here is sought off. It is to fuse, to refine, to melt, to purge, to try, to found, to cast. It's dealing with metal. But the word of God takes the dross from our lives and it strengthens our metal. One of two things can happen in the life of a human being. He wants to chase after and persist in sin. He becomes case-hardened in sin. But it's the Word of God that is able to melt him down. It's the Word of God that's able to purge the dross. It's the Word of God that brings him out pure from the refiner's fire. We find, though, in Proverbs 30, verse 5, our word shield is magin. We see magin again in Psalm chapter 84 and verse 11. Psalm chapter 84 and uh, verse 11. 
In Psalm 84, 11, Scripture says, For the Lord God is sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he uphold from them that walk uprightly. There in Psalm 84, 11, I think the women can identify with what I'm about to say, but he says here that the Lord is a sun and a shield. Sunlight does a wondrous thing with laundry. The ultraviolet waves kill the bacteria. The sunlight whitens the whites. But a proper relationship with our God not only secures us and purifies us, it whitens us. But he's also our shield. We see as well, and again, the, the, the word magin, our shield, in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 19. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 19, the scripture says there, The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither the brightness of, uh, shall the moon give a light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God, thy glory. And twice we're told in Revelation chapter 21 and in Revelation chapter 22 that in the eternal state there's no need for the sun, the moon, and the stars for the Lamb of God is the light thereof. Or in Psalm 115 and verse 9. Psalm 115 and verse 9. The scriptures tell us here, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. But our, in our text Again, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to take up, to take up to ourselves this thurion, this scutum, this door-shaped shield. But there is the modifier. Teus pistius is the genitive singular feminine article noun. This is not just any old door-shaped shield. Pistius. Is persuasion. Pistius is credence. Pistius is a moral conviction of truth. It is the reliance upon Christ as our Savior. It is assurance. It is faith. It is fidelity. It is belief. It is how faith manifests itself in our lives if we honestly are saved. If we honestly are saved, we have assurance. If we honestly are saved, we walk by faith. If we honestly are saved, we're faithful. There is fidelity. Is there something subjective? Or is there more here? It's my personal conviction, after having spent several years teaching Ephesians, it is the one faith of Ephesians 4, 5. One faith. One body of faith. One Precious body of doctrine. We're dealing here in a spiritual warfare. How did mankind fall? Back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, the snake slithered down the tree and cuddled up to Eve, tickled her ear and said, Yea, hath God said? Notice in Genesis 3 1, I'm in Exodus, I'm sorry. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. 
He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not touch it, neither shall ye eat, uh, neither you shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He sows doubt, and then he attacks the very veracity of the word of God, sowing confusion. How did, how, did, how did Satan confront Christ? The same way in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, our Lord had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and uh, physically he was weakened. But in Matthew chapter 4, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit in the wilderness uh, to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, if, command that these stones be made bread. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And the devil taketh him into an holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall he bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus again said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taking him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now he tempted him the same way he tempted Eve in the wilderness, looking at something that's good for food. He tempted him through pride. Then, the greatest temptation of all, he tempts him with his life. You see, when that Adam and Eve sinned, they forfeited to Satan the dominion of creation that God entrusted to them. The Lord knew he was going to have to go to the cross and die and be resurrected to gain back that title deed to all of creation. He's going to have to do it by the cross. Satan appeals and says, hey, skip the cross. Just worship me and I'll let you have it. What kind of a deal is that? Satan cast doubt. Satan manipulated the scripture. Satan rested the scripture. Satan wrongly divided the Word of God, and Christ rightly divided the Word of God, and he hid behind it as a shield. Verse 4, it is written. Verse 7, it is written. Verse 10, it is written. When we are attacked, we hide behind the shield of faith, specifically the faith. The definite article is there. Doctrine we're told in the modern Christian so-called world today is something we don't want to major on because it's divisive. Biblically, rightly divided doctrine is our shield. It protects us from error. It protects us from watering down the gospel. It protects us from easy praise, nominal Christianity. 
that divides because they've never been regenerate. They're carnal. We find our text literally reads, the shield of the faith. There's only one. The Word of God, the doctrines of God's Word, the Scriptures that teach that doctrine. I'm so glad Pastor Curtis is going through the fundamentals of the faith. It is vital. We stand on doctrine of the Word. It is the point of our faith. It is objective faith. It is focused faith. And we are to rely upon the power of God's Word and not the power of the flesh. Every time Satan comes, every time we sense his coming, we're to pick up, we're to take up, we're to put up the shield of faith. But here is the subjective point. We take it up because we believe what it says and we believe the God who is its author. Nobody can do it for us. Here's God's focal point. We see then how Paul continues. He says, Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fire and darts of the wicked. And Odunaseste, Panta, Tabele, Tau Paniru, Ta Papurumina, Sbisai. And as the preposition in, always the dative singular relative pronoun in which. And personally, I like that wording better. Uh, because we see uh, we are safely sheltered in the armor God has provided. The necessities, the two-person plural, the members at Ephesus, the students of this precious epistle. It's a future middle deponent indicative, a pinpoint of time, yet future. We act concerning ourselves. We act, but the power comes from God. We are able. We are of power. Here is God's miraculous dynamite power. Honda is all. Tabele is the accusative plural. Uh, neuter article noun. Bele comes from balu, the throw. Bele is a missile, a spear, an arrow, a dart. Tauponaru is the genitive singular masculine article and adjective of the hurtful evil, evil in effect, evil in influence. It's wicked, it's malicious, it's lewd, it's evil. Many want to tell us that uh, our text here should read the wicked one. No, it shouldn't. This is the wickedness, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the deeds of evil the deeds of lewdness, the deeds of vileness that we saw in verse 12. This is the evil and lewdness and the wickedness of the day of verse 13. True, the ultimate author we find in verse 11, the devil, to diabolo. But here, these missiles are his tools. Here, these missiles are the outworkings of his methodios, his wiles, his trickery, his subtlety, his lying on the edge of the road with the improvised explosive devices. These are the temptations. These are the stumbling blocks. 
But more than that, they are darts, they are arrows, they are spears, and they pierce down deep inside. Tapapu Ramina is the accusative plural neuter article in perfect passive participle. Here's a past completed act with existing results. The darts, the wicked, that are kindled, ignited, inflamed, fiery, burning. A number of years ago, there was a small discussion over the ownership of some islands in the South Atlantic. And in that naval and marine discussion, we saw something that we had not seen heretofore. The French had been busy in their secret little laboratories, and uh, the French supplied the Argentinians with something called the Axis Set. And nobody had really known much about it prior to that. But the Axis Set was clever because the, at the very point of that dart, that missile, was a hardened warhead, a hardened armored warhead that pierced through the hulls of the ships. But once it pierced, the explosive charge fed itself on aluminium. Clever device, because modern warships are no longer 18-inch armor plate. Uh, for lightness and speed, they are a mixture of aluminium and steel. And the charge in the exoset fed on aluminium. And it turned aluminium into a blaze hotter than white phosphorus, and it just burned, and it burned, and it burned, and it became an absolute hellish inferno, raging unquenchable fire. The arrows of temptation pierce, and they are burning, and the fire spreads to our lusts. The fire spreads to our envies. The fire spreads to our passions, our angers, our hatefulness, our tongues, our loathings. We see in James chapter 3, verse 5, the scripture says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Or in James chapter 4, picking up in verse 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not, you kill and you desire to have, and cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you not think the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. 
Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw an eye to God, and he will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, your double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He shall lift you up. He was tempted. A fire was started, and it still burns. These darts can be put out. And one reason that the Roman shields were covered in leather, if the Romans had an inclination that the people that they were going up against, the enemy they were going up against was going to use a burning dart, before they went out into battle, before that they, before they took their clever clogs and just went on, marched on out there, those shields were soaked in the river. They were soaked in water. And the wet leather would extinguish the fire dart. So besides the aristactive infinity of a one-time pinpoint action taken by the subject, the time is not specified because it's particular. But here it's implied. When the fire dart hits the wetted leather, they want out. So besides is to extinguish. It's to quench. The time is not specified because whenever the dart hits the shield that we put up, it'll be quenched. It'll be extinguished. Satan's darts are burning with an unearthly fire. Our water, our shields, is an unearthly water. Hebrews chapter 10 Picking up in verse 22, Paul records there, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And am I in the right chapter here? Yes, I am. 22, excuse me. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, picking up in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, picking up in verse 9. The scripture says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? But be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Or we see in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. And there Paul records not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Or we would see In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, Paul says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Our shield is the faith that's found 
and focus in the doctrines as set forth in the very Word of God. And it is the Spirit of God to the child of God who applies the Word of God. And as we take up that divinely provided shield and armor and we use it as designed, it quenches the fiery darts. It puts out the fire. David said in Psalm 119, picking up in verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Do you know him? Do you know him? Not just a head knowledge, but do you know him experientially? Has he been inside? Has he cleansed your heart? Has he applied the word of God? Cleansed and transformed and regenerated your heart. Do you know him? Do you have that assurance that if anything happened to you today, if you died before you walked out that door, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, the other day, by the time I got to the hospital, my lungs stopped working. They had to put all kinds of steroid stuff in to get them jump-started. And I told the nurse, I know the Lord. If you hadn't got it done, I'd have been with Christ. You might have had my body, but I'd have been home with Jesus. To be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Do you know him experientially? Do you have that assurance? As a child of God, what are you doing with the armor? Are you victorious? Or when the darts come, do they start a fire? They can't be put out. Whatever the need of your heart and life this morning, I know somebody who's sufficient to meet every need. Do you know him? The opportunity is yours to meet the all-sufficient one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm.